He'll give the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh. He doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. With five seconds, he's going to throw it. Howard leaps. He has it. Touchdown, Carolina. Back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go. There is a flag down. But holy smokes. Two and four in overtime games. Carolina one and three here from under center. Give off to Greg Little. Little pulls away. Little is going to score. Carolina wins. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's <laughs> with yes, a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good. It's good. Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Potterburn. In his end zone. The punt. Very high. Switzer will have room to return it. He fields it at the 40. Coming near side. Switzer at the 50. Switzer, 45, cuts back at the 40, 35, breaks a tackle at the 30, still on his feet. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Ryan Switzer for six. He is doing his best Giovanni Bernard impression. Ryan Switzer again. Bernard fields it at the 26, heading to the far side. Hey guys, and welcome in to the first live edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast and what's been a few years, guys. It's been a while. And guess what? We are on StreamYard now. We want to thank so much the, uh, the, the Football Podcasting Network for helping us get uh, to, the, uh, to StreamYard and, and getting us all set up with this. And now we are here. And, you know, normally, you know, we're, we're going to alternate. We'll do some that'll be live stream. We'll do some that will be, uh, you know, taped and then eventually ran back on all of these same platforms. But tonight... We felt like this was, or at least I felt like this was one that had to be done just, you know, live, raw, because this is a huge night for uh, Tar Heel football. It's really been a big last couple of days for Tar Heel football here, Um, but especially, you know, within the last 48 hours, uh, Carolina has had stories break you know, throughout uh, the start of spring camp. We're going to discuss that in depth tonight. I'll take you through my thoughts here as Carolina dives into the 2023 season full-blown. And we are also going to talk about the guys at the Combine. We saw Josh Downs out there uh, along with Antoine Green on Saturday. You saw Awesome Richards out there yesterday. And so we'll recap the Tar Heels at the Combine and those performances And I will also be here with you guys to break down two commitments that Carolina landed today on the recruiting trail. But it's been a little bit of time since 
Uh, we were last on here doing a podcast, even in the audio form. And so, uh, you know, before the last edition, but we hadn't, we didn't find out until afterwards, uh, Carolina lost a member of the Tar Heel football family, a guy that actually played uh, pretty recently back uh, from 2008 to 2011. I was attempting to try to get on um, some of, uh, at least one of, but couldn't get anybody on, uh, just couldn't work out the schedules, but, uh, uh, you know, someone that was teammates uh, with former Tar Heel linebacker Abele uh, Okakpu, uh, and unfortunately, uh, he did pass away back uh, in the middle of February. He was a guy that, uh, you know, was a, a Tar Heel linebacker during the heart of the Butch Davis era, um, and he had been dealing with some some issues, uh, some health issues, some kidney issues, um, unfortunately, and uh, was on the kidney donor list, was hoping that he could get a kidney, but Unfortunately, he passed away uh, at the very young age of 32 years old back on February 11th. Uh, his family held a memorial service back on February 27th for him. And uh, we just, I, I just wanted to say, you know, from everyone here at uh, the Heel Tough Blog and the Heel Tough Blog podcast, I want to extend my condolences to the Akakpo family uh, as well as. Uh, the the players that that played with him, um, he was a guy that was on the team for four years, um, and you know he was a guy that you know really didn't produce until his senior season. But uh, is definitely somebody that uh, a lot of Tar Heel fans will probably remember the name, and uh, just w- wanted to tell uh, him and, and the Tar Heel family, uh, his family and the Tar Heel family, that uh, they are in our thoughts and prayers. Um, it's not easy, but let's make the transition to the news that we got today on the 2024 recruiting trail, and that is that Carolina landed two big-time commitments in the 2024 class. One of them, you may be saying, okay, that makes some sense because he's a highly rated prospect, and that is four-star running back Davion uh, Gosh. Uh, what, uh, what a great job by Carolina. Th- this one I can't really state how big of a commitment this is for Carolina. And, you know, I, I, I've seen some people that are saying as a four-star prospect, he was a guy that blew up really, really early on, even as a middle schooler. Uh, that's where he received a good amount of his offers. But this guy is pretty legit. From, from watching his tape, um, he, he looks like a four-star prospect. Uh, he plays at Chaminade, um, Chaminade Madonna High School. Uh, in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, that's one of the best schools in the state of Florida. They just won a state championship at the 1M classification, which is a new classification that has been brought to the state of Florida. Prior to that, um, last year or, or actually the year before that, um, in the fall of t- uh, 2021, uh, he won. He was, was part of the group that won the 3A state championship uh, in the in the state of Florida. So a guy that's won multiple state titles at, at, at a multitude of different levels has had a lot of success uh, and has really thrived each of the last two years after, uh, you know, he was a backup his freshman year to Thaddeus Franklin III, who is a guy that is now at Miami, uh, was one of their main running backs this past season. And he split time with him as a freshman, but he wasn't really that far behind him. Um, in, in terms of yards, those two basically split the reps down the middle, which is extremely impressive for 
uh, a freshman back. Uh, 5'11", 215, a little bit short in stature, um, but a guy that that really just runs through people. And just an absolute madman when he gets downhill. That's the best thing about him. Uh, that's, that's his main focus is getting downhill and picking up first downs, getting into the end zone. Um, this this is the type of guy that Carolina really loves to have in their backfield. And they've got some speed guys back there right now, um, some guys that have a little bit of twitch to them. Uh, that's kind of what they got uh, in, in this past year's class when they picked up Jordan Louis. So I think this is kind of the guy to balance that out for you know the future moving forward. And they end up landing his commitment uh, over Miami. Florida. Uh, they had extended offers. Some people have told me that those were old offers, but he did visit there last year. And look, this this is a guy, if you're asking, well, maybe he received those offers and maybe he's a guy that just hasn't put up the production at the high school level. He's been extremely productive at the high school level. 762 yards rushing, six touchdowns in his first season uh, back in, in 2020. Um, during that COVID year, it was a shortened season. So even to do that was very, very impressive. And as I mentioned, split time with Thaddeus Franklin. Once he became the full-time guy, uh, he had a huge season in the fall of 2021 where he ran for 1,800, excuse me, 1,876 yards and 17 touchdowns, helping lead them to that 3A state title. And then followed that up this past year, rushing for 1,142 yards and 19 touchdowns, leading them to yet another state title. He had his biggest performance against a team that's very well known in the state of Florida in American Heritage, where he ran for 268 yards in that game. This dude is a bowling ball. Um, He's extremely physical. Not the fastest guy, but has good speed. Uh, this This is a legitimate player. And this is one that can come in and make an impact for Carolina immediately if Carolina needs him. You love those types of guys that run with physical edges. So I think this is a name that is worth keeping an eye on, especially in the future. Him and Jordan Louie, I think, could be a really, really solid combination. Now, I don't know if Carolina is done with the running backs group in this class. Remember that they do have a pretty good amount of upperclassmen. The team also really likes the upside of guys like Amari and Hampton and George Petaway. So those are guys that they're probably preparing and saying in their minds, we have to be prepared if these are guys that eventually go to the NFL a little bit early because they are former four stars, high-end prospects. So I think that's kind of what Carolina is doing here as well. Also, it's the new age of recruiting. You're, you're bringing in a lot of guys at these positions because you just never know who is going to transfer out. And this is a position group where Carolina – um, has done a really good job. They did it under Robert Gillespie. They brought in a guy in Larry Porter who was an outstanding hire to follow up Gillespie after he departed for Alabama. And I think it's worked out really, really well, both on the field and on the recruiting trail. Elijah Green had a really big year this past year once he really settled into that starting role. We're going to see another really, really entertaining battle at running back that uh, we could talk about a little bit more here when we dive into uh, the the spring practice side of things with that getting underway on Sunday. Um, But this this is a great job by him on the recruiting trail, Um, and it's it's an exceptional job, to be honest with you, for him to go down into the state of Florida, not only into the state of Florida, because recruiting in the state of Florida is difficult as it is. 
But to go into Miami's backyard in Hollywood, Florida, at Chaminade Madonna High School, which is a, a spot where Miami ha- has gotten guys for years. Um, that's been a, a, really a factory at producing really, really good players out of that state. For Carolina to go down there and land this commitment, that is massive. Now, Carolina's got to do their – they have their homework cut out for them. Um, you know, they, they are going to have to really put in the work to keep his commitment because you would imagine that, especially if he comes out and has another really, really strong year down there, that Miami is going to come hard after him. Some of the other teams in the state of Florida, especially a team like Florida State, uh, who has a chance to have a really special year this year and has a lot of NIL money as well, could come after him. But for Carolina to land this commitment and to do so after having him on campus for the first time this past weekend, you really, really have to commend this staff. And that was part of the question this offseason. Not only was is it what is this offense going to look like when they actually take the field to play games, but what is it going to look like for recruits? Are they going to be interested in playing for this offense now that Phil Longo is no longer here? And I think right now we're already seeing that the answer is yes. You move on to the guy that committed later in the evening. And this one, look, if, if you're going off recruiting rankings, and I know a lot of people when they look at recruiting, that's really what they go off of. If you're going off for recruiting rankings, this one might not be one that you think you should get overly excited for. But if you go turn on the film of Khalil Conley, you will fall in love with this prospect. This guy was number seven on my list of the most wanted guys when we did that podcast, when I wrote that article on the website at HeelToughBlog.com. This dude's as legit as it gets in terms of just sheer athleticism. Guy that played on both sides of the ball. First of all, if you go back to his first three years at the at the high school level, he played quarterback for Asheville High School in Asheville, North Carolina, before he eventually transferred for his final two years. Uh, it will be at Christ School in Arden, North Carolina. Um, so an exceptional athlete. Uh, he, he threw the ball pretty well, believe it or not. You go back to his time at Asheville, a 29 to 6 touchdown interception ratio through for over 2,000 yards, led Asheville to a ton of success, led them to their uh, first undefeated season in conference back in uh, 2020, uh, or excuse me, in 2021, um, when you know Asheville hadn't gone undefeated in conference since the 2014 season, the fall of 2014. So an unbelievably impressive track record there. And then he goes on to Arden School, and, or excuse me, Christ School in Arden, um, and ha- has just had a ton of success there. Uh, looked really, really good this past year. Actually led that team in receiving 736 receiving yards, uh, five touchdowns last year for him uh, on 39 catches. And then on the defensive side of the ball, 31 total tackles, one tackle for loss, two interceptions, and five pass deflections. The thing about him that that really, really stands out immediately when you turn on his tape is, I mean, just an absolute missile on the field. I mean, this dude has some of the best speed that I have seen uh, from just about any prospect that I've watched. That's why I say, um, you know, in the article, um, you know, this this dude might be one of the best athletes in this entire class. 
um, you know, w- was a major part of all three units th- this past year uh, because of that speed, because of how much space he can close. Um, and and I, I mean, that's that's what's going to make him so attractive. Carolina's looking for guys that can make plays on the back end of this defense. We didn't see him much in the first year under Gene Chizik, uh, along with Charlton Warren. But this team went out. They got a coach that's extremely aggressive uh, to join them in that defensive backfield after the mutual parting of ways with Dre Bly and Jason Jones. And he's a guy that's coached safeties as well. They want to be more aggressive at creating turnovers. And a guy like Conley, who can cover so much space so quickly because of just how fast he is, uh, just straight line speed, his acceleration. I mean, his short area quickness is unbelievable because of how fast he can accelerate. Um, it, it's going to lead to turnovers. It's going to lead to big hits. Um, and, and I think, you know, the one thing he, he's going to probably have to become a little bit of a better tackler because he relies on his speed a lot. But there, there is just so much upside to him. Um, six foot, 170 pounds little slight. He's going to have to put a little bit of weight on that frame, especially if he's going to play safety, which is what it appears he will play at this level. But he's also a guy that can play receiver. If you go and watch his film at receiver, it's really impressive. That speed really, it allows him to create separation, that short area quickness that I talked about, uh, that's so effective for him on the defensive side of the ball. That straight line speed allows him to pull away from guys. This guy, this guy's legit. And I, I think it's only going to be a matter of time until he starts to gain more, you know, some traction on these recruiting websites. I would be shocked if he stays unranked much longer. We've seen, you know, a guy that was unranked just, uh, you know, when he committed a couple of months ago in Desmond Jackson, he has become ranked. He's inside of the top 600. Um, you would imagine Khalil Conley's another one of those guys that's going to jump up there and eventually be ranked just because of the athleticism. I think locking down what position he is going to play would be just huge. I think that would help him out immensely. Um, And if they can do that, if they specify that he's going to be a defensive back, which I think he will, I think he will probably end up slotting in as a safety for this team. Uh, I I think it will help him to uh, probably grow into a prospect that will be inside of the top 500. Um, and as I mentioned, one of my most wanted uh, for that reason. And it also helps that he is a teammate of a guy that Carolina really, really wants in this class. And the number two guy on my most wanted list in this class, uh, same thing for uh, Zach Hubbard, our, our recruiting analyst as well. He had him number two on his list. Th- this this will help in the recruitment of Caden Jones. Carolina already has connections uh, through you know a close family tie with him. But to now get his teammate already in there, um, a guy that visited campus three times. This wasn't Carolina, you know, getting him on campus the first time. He's a guy that could have wandering eyes. Seems like he's pretty committed to Carolina. It feels like this is a spot that he has really fallen in love with. I think you are looking at a guy that can help you now in that recruitment. And that is one that I think Carolina, talk about some of the most important recruitments in this class. That one has to be right near the top. So uh, that's a look at the two guys uh, that did commit to Carolina today. Two big additions. Carolina's class now 35th in the overall rankings according to 24-7 Sports Composite Team Rankings. But again, Conley not ranked in this class. He's now the third guy in this class that is unranked. 
Uh, only Gauss and um, Desmond Jackson at this point are ranked. But again, you fe- you would feel like at some point that is going to change. Some of these guys are going to start getting rated. Uh, I would bet my you know bet my money uh, just from you know watching the the tape of these guys and seeing the levels that these guys play at at the high school level. Uh, you will see uh, Khalil Conley and Andrew Rosinski at some point uh, get ranked. It, it, it's just a matter of time for them. Evan Bennett, he's a guy that's a lot more raw. He's a guy that plays at, at a smaller level of high school football in the state of Georgia. So for him, it might be a little bit tougher, but those other two guys, I feel like it's only a matter of time before we're talking about them. Well, the other big thing that's going on around Tar Heel football right now is the team is officially in spring camp. So now, guys, it's time to put the end of last season behind us. Use it as a motivating point for this team, but now it's time to focus on the 2023 season. And before the press conference the other day that Mac had uh, to, you know, as his pre-spring state of the program, a presser, they did reveal the guys that are going to be either limited or out for uh, spring camp and the limited guys, it includes British Brooks, who's of course recovering from a season ending injury last year, Sebastian Cheeks, uh, same deal for him, Des Evans, who also got injured mid season and was lost for the year, Tamari Fox. Uh, that one's interesting, he missed all of last year, of course, due to the PED suspension. Um, and now banged up. Uh, the good news is he's only limited. Carolina was really hoping he could help them on a defensive front that can use all the help it can get at this point. Caleb Hood, of course, suffered a season-ending injury in the middle of last season. He is going to be limited. And Ed Montalus, who is back with the team, that's one that uh, Carolina fans may have seen in the offseason that he was not going to come back and may have missed the news uh, that he announced that he is going to return. So Ed Montalus will be a part of that offensive line unit this year that Mac Brown wants to see take a step forward. Meanwhile, there are five guys who will be out for the entirety of spring practice. Giovanni Biggers, the safety, will be out. Uh, that's you know a little bit of a tough loss, being that he is a starter, but that's a group that I think really needs to take a hard look at some of the other guys there and, and, and find their best pairing back there. Uh, Armani Chapman, the transfer corner from Virginia Tech, that one stings. He's a veteran. You would have loved to get him in there. Uh, get him acclimated, especially because there's a chance he might have to play some early in the season for you. Uh, Trevion Green, who's a backup uh, offensive lineman, but was a guy who looked good last year in the spring. Mac Brown talked a lot about him uh, last year, and with Carolina having you know that left tackle spot up for grabs with Awesome Richards leaving early. That was a guy that might have been able to factor in there just a little bit. So not having him kind of stings a bit. Will Hardy, that one really hurts. He played so well at the end of the year for Carolina. You felt like this was going to be a chance for him to sort of expand on that role. Uh, and now we'll, we'll we'll have to wait till the fall to see him. That sort of opens the door for a few guys at safety. And we'll talk more about the defensive backfield here in a little bit. J.J. Jones, the other guy on the offensive side of the ball that will not participate. He had offseason hip surgery, so wide receiver going to be a little bit wide open. Let's look at some of the top storylines. We'll talk about you know some of those positions that are affected by the injuries here in just a second. But the first thing that you have to talk about when you talk about this Tar Heel team this offseason 
are the staff changes. And the majority of them, which is not what we hoped would happen, are coming on the offensive side of the ball. We were hoping for a lot of changes on the defensive side of the football. That has not happened. It is the offensive side of the ball where we've seen uh, a bunch of turnover. Phil Longo, along with Jack McDell, uh, they leave Chapel Hill, of course, for uh, Wisconsin. They're going to be a part of Luke Fickle's new staff there. So Carolina has to bring in new offensive coordinator in Chip Lindsey. And now the offensive staff made up a little bit differently. Um, it was originally set to be the passing game coordinator was going to be Lonnie Galloway, the wide receivers coach. And then John Lilly, the tight ends coach, was promoted to running game coordinator. But he ends up leaving for the Carolina Panthers. He's going to work under their new coach, Frank Reich. Can't really blame him for that one. That's definitely a, a special staff that they're putting together there. And for him, he wanted to go back to the NFL level at some point. This felt like a really good opportunity for him. So he leaves Freddie Kitchens, who is a guy that has a ton of NFL experience. Most people will remember him for his time with the Cleveland Browns as both their offensive coordinator and eventually their head coach. He is going to come in and not only coach the tight ends, but take on that running game coordinator position. So a guy that has experience calling plays at the NFL level, has experience calling plays at the college level. Uh, he, he is going to be there now with Chip Lindsey and with Lonnie Galloway as they try to formulate what this offense is going to look like. Now, Chip Lindsey, Mac Brown, those guys have said that this offensive system is not going to look that much different from what it did a year ago. I got to be honest, I I don't I guess that makes some sense. Uh, that would mean that Lonnie Galloway is going to have a lot of influence in this offense. But the other part of it is, is that, you know, it kind of makes me worry a little bit about the hire of Chip Lindsey. If you're bringing in a guy that is really just there to run the offensive system that you ran a year ago. And look, I don't I don't fault Matt Brown for wanting to stick with that to a certain extent um, because it did have a ton of success. You saw, you know, the type of results that it produced for Sam Howell. You saw the type of results that it produced for the majority of last season uh, with Drake May. Um, I, I think my concern with it is, is that what is Chip Lindsey bringing that's different? He's a guy that has had his play, uh, play calling duties stripped in each of his last two stops. And it's by the same guy. It's by Gus Malzahn. So, uh, it, it's, it was an interesting hire. I think Freddie Kitchens coming in and definitely helps that. Although with Freddie Kitchens, it's nice to have that NFL experience in the room. My concern with Freddie Kitchens is everywhere he's been, things have kind of been rather mediocre. So we'll see. I'd be interested to know from South Carolina people, from people inside of that program, how much influence did he have on last year's success for that South Carolina offense? And if he did have a lot of success or if he was a big part of that success, uh, what was he bringing to that room? That That's something that you know, I may have to ask around a little bit about and 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 see, you know, what he brings to the table. But I feel like that room, it'll be interesting to see what that offense looks like, um, you know, whether or not Carolina plays their spring game or not. That's something that Mac Brown, you know, ha has kind of gone back and forth with on whether or not to play a traditional spring game. Um, I, personally, I love them. I think they're great. I think it shows 
you know, it, it, first of all, it's great for the fans. It shows your fans what your team is going to look like just a little bit. To me, I mean, I get it last year. I, I would have understood last year if they didn't want to go with that, especially because of all the guys that were banged up in the secondary. I mean, when you're having to roll out Val Edwards as a guy that's going to start at safety for you in that scrimmage because of all the injuries that you had in the defensive backfield, and no slight to Val Edwards. He's a guy that's a walk-on, though. Um, it, it's it, it makes sense why you'd want to go with the more traditional practice, but uh, this is something that Mac Brown, I, I guess, has been toying with for a while now. He says that uh, really this is kind of where college football has been heading for a while, and uh, it, it's it's something that he will have to make a decision on as they go throughout spring camp. As of that pre-spring presser, he did not have an answer. He said that he was still going to have to think about it. So we'll have to monitor that and see what ends up happening there. But ultimately, I think that will be the best chance in the spring to get a look at what this offense is going to look like. If not, you know, we're going to have to just kind of take it from you know what the media is allowed to see. Uh, as well as just wait for that first game of the season where, uh, you know, you'll have to work in a new offense. The good news is the team on the other side of you, South Carolina, they'll be working in a new offense as well with Dow Loggins coming in, a guy that kind of like Chip Lindsey, people had some questions about. Now, their fan base at South Carolina, a little bit of a stronger response, to say the least, to Dow Loggins coming in. But I, I still think that, both teams will be working through some things in that first game of the year, but this is a chance here in the spring to sort of show that they're not getting away from some of the things that have worked in the past. They're just adding uh, some different elements, like maybe running the football a little bit more, slowing down the offense uh, to try to help out your defense, uh, which is something that we thought we might see a little bit more of under Chip Lindsey. Um, you know, in terms of the defensive side of the football, the biggest questions there, uh, it starts, first of all, up front. Uh, who can emerge from this team here in the spring to get more pressure on the quarterback? The thing that's tough about this is that the last few years, guys, we've heard guys that have stood out in spring practice, even into fall camp. Um, one guy in particular to me that is that, that we've seen stand out uh, that really hasn't done anything in terms of production on the field is Des Evans. We, we've seen that each of the last two years, he has been talked up by the coaching staff. And when he gets out there and actually has to put, you know, what he's done in spring practice on, you know, on the field, uh, we just, we haven't seen it. And so I don't know how much you can take from it, but you really need somebody to emerge here. I want to hear one or two guys that really, start to that, that get some buzz that people are talking about that Matt Brown is excited to talk about. I, I I have not heard that in these past few years. We've heard, you know, they've talked about Des Evans. Well, he's looked good. I want to hear about a guy that is taking over on the defensive line. I want to hear multiple guys, frankly, that are taking over on the defensive line. And yeah, I mean, it's a give and take because then you're going to have to say, well, is this Tar Heel offensive line really living up to expectations? Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? But I want to see some some guys that can come in here and wreck shop. Um, the guy I'm banking on, I, I really hope that Cayman Rucker can take a step forward this year. Um, we heard, you know, Noah Taylor was at the Combine uh, this past week. And when he met with the media, he said, that's the guy to watch, folks. 
He is the real deal. And I really like Cayman Rucker. The thing for him is he's got to get in the weight room. Um, and if he can put on a little bit more size and strength, I think he has what it takes. He has the high motor. There's no question about that. I think he's just a guy that's kind of been undersized his entire career at Carolina. But I would like to see him get into that range where, you know, Tamon Fox was. Um, that was the thing with Tamon Fox, man. We we talked about, you know, so many times on this podcast how we really liked some of what Tamon Fox did, but it just wasn't consistent. Well, with Cayman Rucker, you know, the production isn't nearly as high, but he's a very similar type of player where the production just isn't consistent. And part of that is that they have just been unbelievably stubborn and have not really let him take over a full-time role. Um, this dude should not be losing reps to anybody. Uh, he should not be losing reps to Deb- Des Evans. He should not be losing reps to Jabari Ritzy, who should be playing inside. This dude needs to play the majority of your reps at the edge rusher position unless somebody else is to emerge there to help rotate in and out for him. Other than that, play this dude uh, as much as you can for a pass rusher because he deserves it. He's he's shown it. He's the one guy that I think has played with the high motor and has, you know, has the skill set um to to make plays in the backfield. It's it's just got to become more consistent. And then on the other side, I want to see Amari Gaynor come in here and step up. He, he's going back to the edge rusher position. You know, the last couple of years at Florida State, he kind of played an off-ball linebacker spot, which really just didn't fit him well. You know, we talked to Logan Robinson, a guy who covered him uh, for the Florida State um, SB Nation site, and he told us right out, you know, it, it, figuring his spot out was one of the toughest things. Uh, and, and he was a guy that actually had an interesting perspective on him because he played with him in high school. He said, look, as an edge rusher, I think that's where he fits better. So I need Amari Gainer to prove that here. You know, you played in the ACC, you played at Florida State, and you put up some really solid numbers. You were a highly rated recruit. Well, now can you expand on that here? Now you're back at a position where it feels like you can have more of an impact. Is he able to have that impact for Carolina off the edge? Because they need it so badly. This team needs pass rushing. And, you know, I mentioned the guys on the edge. Well, it's not just those guys on the edge. It's the guys on the interior. You have to have guys that can get after the quarterback. One of the guys we thought was going to get after the quarterback this past year was Miles Murphy. And that did not happen. And Miles Murphy, I'm going to tell you right now, Miles Murphy, that was one of the most disappointing seasons that I can remember from a single player in Tar Heel football history on the defensive side of the football. He came in with so much praise. He was a guy that a lot of people thought was going to take that next step. Um, you know, there, there were people that had him, uh, as, you know, potentially a, a preseason, you know, second, third team, all ACC type player. Um, Phil Steele was incredibly high on him, had him as one of those guys that could sneak into uh, an all American role. Um, if he, you know, ended up sort of fulfilling, uh, what, you know, he showed, you know, in flashes the year before, and he took a significant step back. He was absolutely silent for the majority of the season. And so now I, I think he's in a position where he has to battle for his spot. He he really does. And you've got guys like Javari Ritzy, who I think deserves to start this year if he proves it again in camp. Um, I, he started to show it a little bit last year. You started to see why some of those comparisons for him coming out of high school were to a guy like Jeffrey Simmons because he's a guy that – was just able to shed tackles at times. But again, thing with him is 
more consistency, uh, more time in the weight room, I think will help him become a more physical player. Um, but I, I think that's that's definitely one of the guys that uh, could you know allow there to be a little bit of change down there and maybe uh, to help Carolina take another step forward. And then the other guy that I really want to see take a step forward, and I don't know how much it'll help as a pass rusher, uh, is Travis Shaw. This needs to be Travis Shaw's year to step up for Carolina, become that guy in the middle of this defense. Uh, and if he can, I, I think Carolina has a chance to be really successful. Um, you know, he showed some flashes late last year. I thought he looked really, really good at times in that ACC championship game. Also looked really good uh, in the bowl game as well. Can he build off of those? Can he become a guy that, you know, can play, you know, the majority, the, the 50% of the snaps for Carolina down there? It's understandable that he's going to have to be rotated out. And that's where you can use a guy like Miles Murphy. Um, you'll see Kevin Hester Jr. down there. But to me, I think for Carolina to take a step this year, I want to see Javari Ritzy and I want to see Travis Shaw step up on that defensive line. And it's all going to start here in the spring. The other big question mark for Carolina on the defensive side of the football is that defensive backfield. What does that defensive backfield do this year? Because last year, that was the worst the defensive backfield has looked since the John Bunning era. Let that sink in, folks. There were some really, really rough secondaries at times in the middle of that Larry Fedora era. And yet, that was the worst passing defense a year ago that Carolina has had statistically since 2003. How is that even possible? When a guy in Gene Shizik came in back in 2015 and had far more success with a group that wasn't nearly as talented if you just go off of what's on paper. Now, don't get it wrong. The defensive backfield, I mean, look, they, they've had their inconsistencies, but you're talking about Tony Grimes, a former five-star corner. Storm Duck, former three-star corner, but a guy that lit it up the minute that he came to Carolina. Well, those guys are gone now. Those guys are out the door. Carolina lost four guys to the transfer portal at the cornerback position, another guy to the transfer portal out of the safety position. And they parted ways with Dre Bly. And to me, it was the right decision. People have had issues with that. I understand. Trust me, I'm not a dude that wanted Dre Bly to fail. But the results were there, folks. They needed to part ways with them. As I mentioned earlier, they brought in Jason Jones, a guy who wants to be aggressive, has been really, really good at just about every stop that he has made in his career. One of the big things that he wants to do is to create turnovers. And so Carolina with a new guard, are they able to create some of those turnovers here in the spring? Do we see that start to crop up there? Uh, and it does it carry over through fall camp? And can it eventually carry over on the field this season? But you need some guys to step up there. Um, Marcus Allen, I want to see him build off of what he did as a freshman. One of the biggest issues that, you, that we saw under Dre Bly when he was here was that guys that came in and had really, really good freshman seasons were just never able to build off of it. Storm Duck and Tony Grimes, tremendous examples of that. Now, a guy like Marcus Allen, with Jason Jones being the guy that's tutoring him, can he be that guy that finally carries over a freshman season and even builds off of it? as he gets into his sophomore, eventually junior year, and hopefully senior year if he stays here all the way through. 
the other cornerback position. Probably going to be a battle there. As I mentioned, Armani Chapman, you were really, really hoping that he was a guy that was going to be able to be with you for spring. He is not due to injury. So that means that you're probably looking at Legend Cavazos out there, uh, along with the transfer from East Tennessee State. And we're going to learn a lot about him, kind of where he's going to play as well. Will he be a guy that kind of fits in in the slot with a little bit of a smaller frame? And Elijah Huzzy, I'll be interested to see how Carolina implores him because he had six interceptions a year ago at East Tennessee State. Um, he's a guy that's created a lot of turnovers so far in his career. As for the safety spots, you don't have Will Hardy or Giovanni Biggers, as I mentioned. There's a good chance that those guys, depending on how it works out, could be your starters at the beginning of the year. Although there is a guy that is coming back that I think is going to be huge for Carolina this year, and that is Jaquarius Conley, who is back from injury. You would imagine, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to factor in at safety. I know. You know, at times he, he's looked better at corner, but Carolina just desperately needs him to be a, a, a guy that uh, can play this free safety position and can handle being that guy on the back end for Carolina because they just did not have the consistent play there that they needed a year ago. At the high school level, you saw the looks of a guy that could play that type of free safety role that Carolina needs. And I think this year having, you know, another year, you know, he, he did – get to practice with the team a year ago. Remember the big thing with him was he suffered the injury before the season. He then uh, comes out and is, is trying to get back on the field, ends up rolling uh, or hurting himself. I think it was a, he, he rolled his ankle or, or something uh, in, you know, a practice. And basically then that was the end of the season. They were just like, look, we're not going to risk it. We're going to shut it down. Well, now, you know, you got him full go. Uh, that's the other big thing that, that you know, you should have noticed from uh, the limited and outlist that Carolina released is that he is not limited. He is going to be a full go from uh, the start here in spring practice uh, as of Sunday. So that's huge for Carolina to be able to get him back out there. And I'll be interested to see what he is able to do uh, at that free safety spot. As for the strong safety spot, you know, there's a few candidates there. One of the guys, interestingly enough, that's going to be in there. Um, and in the spring, they've said they don't know. They're going to kind of split him between running back and safety is DJ Jones. He's a guy that uh, chose not to enter the transfer portal. Mac Brown said that that was something that was on the table at one time, but he came to Mac Brown and asked, how can I contribute to this team? And Mac Brown said, well, it's easy. We, we, you know, I imagine Mac Brown said to him, is there any other position that you'd like to play? Uh, he brought up the defensive backfield, and I would say that Mac Brown probably had absolutely no hesitations to the thought of him being a part of this defensive backfield with how much this defensive backfield has struggled. And so he's going to be a part of that group there for Carolina. Um, the thing that, you know, again, really hurts for Carolina, uh, they do not have uh, Artavis Lane, uh, who is another guy that Carolina landed out of the transfer portal. He unfortunately did not enroll for the spring semester. He actually committed later on in the week after the spring semester started. And so he is going to be a guy that's going to come in in the summer for Carolina. Another guy that creates a lot of turnovers. We saw him actually last year uh, when Carolina played Georgia State. So that'll be real interesting to see how he fits in. But for now, I think the guy that benefits the most from this and that's going to have the best opportunity to step up here is going to be Derek Allen, the transfer from Georgia Tech and the brother of Marcus Allen. 
one. He's a guy that's a former four-star uh, prospect, uh, you know, went to Notre Dame, didn't work out there, so he goes to Georgia Tech, and you know, he's had solid production. He's been a guy that's kind of been a rotational player at safety, a little bit of a backup guy, and ultimately that's probably the role that you'll want him to settle into at Carolina. But for now, I think the door is open for him to be the guy that steps up and, and kind of fills the role of that strong safety, um, that, that guy, the, the boundary safety as they call it now, uh, the guy that's going to play a little bit in the box. And so I think that is going to be the guy to keep an eye on here. Also, Don Chapman, you're going to have a veteran back there. He also could factor in there as well. Um, him and Conley could be a little bit interchangeable. You could have um, you know, him play the free safety because he's been a little bit more comfortable doing that so far during his career and have Conley be more of that boundary safety that comes downhill and tackles. We've seen him tackle really well out of that nickelback position when he's played there and a little bit of safety that we saw from him back in 2021 as well. So uh, it'll be very interesting to check out what Carolina does in that defensive backfield. Uh, the other area that I'm looking for, you go back over to the offensive side of the ball. And I'm really interested to watch these receivers. And especially because you're not going to have J.J. Jones, Carolina is going to be rolling out three new receivers in the spring. Um, three new starters, at least. Um, we've seen guys that have started games. of Kobe Pesor is going to be involved somehow in this offense. There is no way with what he has shown you every time that he started where he has been the best receiver on the field in all three of the games that he has started for Carolina. He dominated the bowl game again. Uh, you know, I, I was kind of wondering heading into that game, you know, would he be able to carry over those early season performances that he had against App State and Georgia State in the bowl game when he was in there for Josh Downs? Uh, yeah, he looked great. He was easily Carolina's best receiver. So you're going to have to get him involved in some way. But the thing is, is you go and get the transfer from Georgia Tech uh, in the slot, Nate McCollum, who really, really thrived last year for uh, Georgia Tech. And that was in a year where they had no stability at the quarterback position. They're still not a well-oiled machine on offense. And when we talked to Benjamin Tankersley, who covered them um, for uh, the blog site for SB Nation uh, on that side of things, he told us, look, uh, Chip Long was, you know, just uh, just not a great hire. And that was backed up by Eric Croton, uh, who we talked to on the, lay on the last edition of the podcast, uh, if you guys didn't hear that, where he basically said Chip Long was one of the worst hires that anybody made last offseason. Um, and Nate McCollum thrived in that system somehow as a slot receiver. So for him now coming to a system that's, more pass-oriented, that has one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country in Drake May. He could be a guy that thrives. So you would expect him to be the favorite to win the starting job in the slot. That means that Kobe Pesor will be a guy that will probably kick outside and will probably be a part of a battle there with uh, a host of guys. There, there are you know, a really good group of guys out there. Devontae Walker, transfer from Kent State, who put up tremendous numbers there. Um, over 900 yards receiving this past year. Big time deep threat over the top. Has some of the best speed uh, at one point this season in a game against Georgia, uh, where he actually played extremely well. Um, did so in, in both of the games that they played against Power 5 competition. He actually topped out at 23 miles an hour with the football in his hand 
Uh, so this dude is electric, and you add him in there. Um, Andre Green Jr. is a guy that I think everybody saw you know, flash uh, it, back in the spring last year. We heard a lot about him. Didn't see him a whole lot uh, during the fall, but then he gets his chance in the bowl game against Oregon, and you saw why this there is so much excitement about him. When he climbed the ladder for that touchdown, that's one that should have stuck with Tar Heel fans all offseason. Carolina needs that red zone threat. Andre Green Jr. could be that guy. And I think you look at those three guys telling you, these guys are going to have a good opportunity to sort of separate themselves, even from J.J. Jones, who was a starter a year ago. Now, J.J. Jones is a guy that has a chance to improve himself, but that offseason hip surgery, that'll be a little bit of a setback for him. He might get bypassed by some of these other guys if he's not careful. So it'll be real interesting to watch these receivers and who steps up to be uh, that next guy, the, the, that next, you know, those next set of guys that Drake may can go to, of course, along with the tight end groups uh, that is, you would expect will still be really, really good under Freddie kitchens with Bryson Nesbitt coming back after posting the best season for a tight end uh, since Eric Ebron left campus, as well as Kamari Morales and John Copenhaver all coming back for this season. The last big storyline that I think you have to talk about when it comes to this team is how hungry is this team to bounce back from the rough finish to the end of last season? One of the things that was talked so much about last preseason, you know, in the spring and even into fall camp was the motivation of this team, the mindset of this team. Uh, you know, just, just, how you know these guys were really motivated to come out and prove that 2021 was a fluke. Well, here's the thing. Is Carolina motivated again to come out and answer similar questions? We've said it a couple of times here during this offseason. We said it at the end of the season last year uh, after the bowl game against Oregon. Carolina is at another crossroads here in terms of the direction of the program. And I get it. This was just the second time since Mac Brown left campus back in 97 that Carolina has won nine games in a season. This team also lost four straight to close out the year, including a blowout loss to Clemson. You have to reassess where things are at. And, you know, starts with the defensive side of the ball. They didn't make all of the changes that I think we all wanted, but now that group has to step up. And offensively, you are navigating through a new offensive coordinator. You've got two guys that are going to be specific parts of the offense um, in, in terms of the, the what they will coordinate in Lonnie Galloway and Freddie Kitchens as the passing and running game coordinators. This is, this is a time of, of change for Carolina. And how did they navigate through this? What is the mindset of these players, of the guys on this staff? Are they wanting to come out and once again prove something? Because there are still many, many doubters. This is a team that got to the, to the ACC championship game a year ago, but when they got there, a lot of people thought that they didn't deserve to be there. Um, they fought for the first quarter, quarter and a half, really even the first half, you could say. And then fell apart. And now most people believe they will not get back there. 
Florida State is the team that most people think will be the best team in the ACC this season, and nobody's going to pick Carolina over Clemson, um, nor should they at this point. So is this team motivated to come out and prove people wrong? That's going to be the big thing. And the other thing, another guy they're going to have to prove wrong is apparently their coach. Matt Brown, I'm not going to really talk about a lot of their stuff. I've already been going on for about 50 minutes here, really just diving into the uh, commitments. And when I laid out this podcast, I didn't know that we were going to have two commitments, you know, in in the class. So I have had to adjust it just a little bit. I was going to dive into some of the other comments that he made, but really I'm just going to focus on, on one here. And it's the ones that he made about the schedule. And I get it. He was a guy that, had it brought up to him. He was not somebody that went out of his way to bring this up. But he then goes on to lay out three reasons why he is not a fan of the schedule. He says, one, not a fan of the fact that they have to play Pittsburgh in their first conference game because they play such a tough out-of-conference schedule. That, that one right there had me right out of the gate because, first of all, you scheduled two of the non-conference games that you play before that. These were not holdover games that you just had no choice in. You scheduled two of these games. So you can't really complain about that. Pittsburgh, also, the team that you beat last year, probably one of the better games that you played a year ago in the ACC. Um, That was one that we looked back at multiple times and we're pulling from for motivation and, you know, something that, that, that a recipe that the group should have followed in games later on in the season. So don't really understand why you're feeling so afraid of a Pittsburgh team that, uh, you know, you beat last year, granted it was at home, but you beat rather convincingly You had dominant second half against them. And that is losing a lot from a year ago. I mean, just a ton on that defensive front. Um, you know, there's some of their skill players gone as well. They lose their starting running back, Israel Abanacanda, uh, second straight year with a transfer quarterback. Don't really understand why you're looking at that game and saying that's ridiculously tough. Okay. You move on to a second issue. That's with the home game against Virginia, which is during fall break. I don't really know why this is that big of an issue. I've seen some people that agreed with him on this. Guys, teams play te- teams play games during fall break all the time. I I I, I mean, I just what what do you really? I, I mean, he says, well, we're going to need the crowd. I, I mean, I, I don't really get it. Like that Virginia team. First of all, Virginia. We're just going to lay this out right here, right now. I would be stunned if Virginia is not the worst team in the conference this coming year. That team is in really, really bad shape right now. Um, Recruiting-wise, they're a team that's pretty much in a full program rebuild. And that's why they hired Tony Elliott. It's going to take time. But that's a game that you should win whether you have 65,000 in the stadium or if you have zero people in the stadium. Um, environment should not be the determining factor in that game. Um, and I know he said it's unfair to the students. I guess it's because they lose a home game or, uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe he thinks that witnessing the South soul rivalry is, is a big deal. 
Uh, look, I'm one of the biggest guys when it comes to fighting for the South's oldest rivalry because, you know, there were a lot of people when Carolina had the three protected opponents that came out that thought Wake Forest should have been Carolina's other protected opponent along with Duke and State. No, Virginia was the right call. But in the same token, Virginia, Carolina, not a game that's overly special for the students to be able to witness. The worst one, though, from Mac Brown was his third reason. And that was the fact that Carolina has to play Clemson before having to play rival NC State. There are multiple reasons why this comment is just, just mind-blowing. Um, just really wants me to, to put my head through a wall. Because one, and he mentioned this when he was talking through his reasoning, which doesn't make any sense is that Carolina no longer plays their FCS opponent the week before they play NC State. Um, He said when they made that move before last season that they thought it would be better if they play an ACC opponent. Uh, It kind of keeps them in rhythm, and he felt like that would get them better prepared for the NC State game. Well, it didn't really work out this past year. Maybe you just shouldn't play Georgia Tech, Um, you know, the game before them, at this point, luckily, that's not one of the protected opponents. Maybe you just shouldn't play Georgia Tech altogether. But the other thing is, you know, he complains about this being a, a game where Carolina, well, they have to play Clemson the game before. I mean, teams in the SEC do this all the time. They have difficult stretches during their schedules all the time. There's other teams that have done this before in the ACC Atlantic that have had to play Clemson and then their biggest rival. To me, one, it, it, it's just it's just a bad look for him in terms of the national landscape because you're the only coach complaining about your schedule. Um, I know Nick Saban came out and complained and, and he was saying complaining about the schedule. Well, that's the that's the the rumors that were leaked of the protected opponents for Alabama. It's a little bit different in terms of just complaining about an actual schedule saying that quote, the ACC uh, basically did us an injustice that uh, it was unfair. The schedule that they laid out. It's just one, it's a horrible, horrible look in terms of you as a coach to other coaches, but it honestly would make me think if I'm a player on the team. Does he really trust us? Does he think that we are capable of winning with a tough schedule? A, a schedule that he thinks is apparently just too tough for us to accomplish what we want to accomplish. That's the way that I would look at that. those comments if I'm a player. And I would imagine that he's probably had to address that in the locker room. If not, he needs to. He shouldn't wait on players to address that. But if you're him, you just, you, you, you got to stop talking about that schedule. Please, for the love of God, do not let me hear about that schedule one more time this offseason. Do not. Because if I hear that, I will lose it on this podcast. I will go uh, just ballistic. Because that should be behind us. The schedule that is laid out is the schedule. Greg Ward, who was in here watching earlier, Greg, if you're still in here, appreciate the comments. Play who is in front of you. We have said that 
since the moment that he originally came out with those first comments. You have the schedule. Now go out and play it. This is a team that has the talent. You've recruited it. It's on your coaching staff to develop this talent to be able to handle playing this schedule. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's move on from that. The only other thing that I did want to comment, because it's a, it, it's some news from that presser, I didn't want to let this one go, is that Clyde Christensen, uh, who is a 44-year veteran of the coaching, uh, of coaching uh, is going to be a part of the Tar Heel staff. Uh, he is going to come in as an offensive volunteer. That is how they are labeling it. Basically a quality control guy. He will not be able to directly coach guys. Um, he will not be a part of the game day staff, but he is going to be a guy that's going to come in and be able to help Drake May. He's going to be able to come in and help Carolina figure out the future of the quarterback position after Drake May uh, departs. So uh, this is huge because he's a guy that's worked with Everyone from Tom Brady to Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. Football fans, you should know that's that's about as decorated as it gets. Um, he actually was the quarterback's coach for Tom Brady's last Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. So for him to come in here, for him to now be involved and be able to help uh, not, not only the guys on the staff, but indirectly help Drake May is huge. Uh, and for Drake May, this is about as as good of an addition as you could have hoped for to this staff. Um, this is another reason I think you should be confident in the offensive side of the football this year, despite all the changes, is because you got a guy with this much experience. He's going to be able to come in and and, and sort of help you out. You know, not not on the field on game days, but um, when you're going through film, he'll be able to point some things out. Uh, to some of the other coaches and really be able to help out, um, you know, and, and try to get this to be an offense that's even more effective than it's been in years past, to try to help a quarterback that uh, is going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the country this year, is going to be right in the thick of the Heisman race from the word go, really take that next step. So love this hire from Mac Brown and his staff ringing in Clyde Christensen, also a former Tar Heel quarterback as well. Uh, was a backup to Matt Kupek uh, back in the late 70s. Actually did have to come into a game for Carolina during the 1977 season uh, and find a way to preserve a win against Clemson uh, that eventually allowed Carolina to go on and win the ACC championship in that season. So a uh, guy that's been here before, it's been a long, long time, but he is coming back to Chapel Hill and will be a part of this staff. Great job by Mac Brown there. And uh, Mac Brown said as well that they are looking to add a guy to a similar role on the defensive side of the ball. Now, Greg Barnes from inside Carolina, he's reported that uh, th when they do add that person, uh, which they are hoping to find here at some point, Mac Brown says uh, when he finds that guy, he will add him to the staff. Uh, they are hoping that it's going to be somebody that can help them on the defensive front. And I think we all would love any help that we can get on that defensive front for a guy in Tim Cross who, uh, you know, has fallen out of favor with a lot of Tar Heel fans. Um, look, this season, he is going to be a part of the staff. We said last season it was a make-or-break year. This season, there are no questions. This is an absolute make-or-break year for the defensive line coach for 
the Tar Heels. Tim Cross has to have his unit come out and perform. So adding a guy that can help them down there could only help you. So we'll have to wait and see what Carolina does there. Well, guys, we are going to uh, actually take a quick break. Uh, This is the first time that I've done a live show in a while. So this is going to be very, very interesting right here because I am going to have to, on the spot, uh, pull up my script for uh, DraftKings, which is our sponsor here. It's been so long since I've done this, so I forgot uh, to actually get this ready right on the spot. And, of course, it is not wanting to load here as of right now, though I've got it pulled up right here. Uh, so let me go ahead and roll with this. And let me tell you about DraftKings and uh, NBA fans. It's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you will get a free bet back. Personally, guys, I am a New York Knicks fan And it's time. It's time for me to bet on the New York Knicks. I can't believe I am actually saying this. I believe the New York Knicks actually have a chance in the Eastern Conference. So moving forward, I'm starting to feel pretty confident. Hell, they didn't have Jalen Brunson last night, and Emmanuel quickly went off. So I have to get my bets in. I know, look, a lot of you guys that may be watching this, listening to this, you may be Charlotte Hornets fans. Maybe you want to bet against the Hornets. At this point, they don't have LaMelo Ball. I can't really blame you. If you're going to do it, there's only one place to do it, and that is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with the code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. For those of you that are watching right here, I'm going to run through it real quick. Uh, That is for the people that, of course, will listen to it later on down the line and will have the description um, in it if you are one of our listeners on one of the podcasting apps. But for those that are watching us, gambling problem call 877-8-HOPE-NY. Text HOPE-NY to 46736. If you or somebody has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, uh, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, West Virginia, and Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and New Hampshire. 888-789-7777 or visit ccp.org in Connecticut. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Visit opgr.org in Oregon or 
3,500 in Virginia. 21 plus, 18 plus in New Hampshire and Wyoming. Physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, only void in Ohio and Ontario. Eligibility restrictions apply. Free bets valid one per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit. Minimum $5 bet. Uh, $200 issued in free bets that will expire seven days after being awarded. See terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. No sweat, valid one per customer, NBA same-game parlay bets only, minimum three-leg, first bet after opting in, must lose, paid as one free bet token based on amount of initial losing bet, maximum wager limits apply, free bets expire seven days after being awarded, ends at the start of the NBA game each day when offered prior to to March 16, 2023 at 10 p.m. See terms at com slash basketball terms. You guys are still with us after all of that. Really do appreciate that. I do appreciate our sponsor, DraftKings, by the way. Again, right there in the top corner. Try, uh-oh. It's been a while since I've been on camera here, guys. I'm trying to figure out my directions here. Uh, it, it, well, this would also help if I could figure it out. Right there in your top corner, see that promo code right there. DraftKings uh, Sportsbook app, promo code TPPN for all of your betting action. Well, we're going to wrap it up by talking a little bit about the guys that were at the Combine. Three Tar Heels uh, that were in action in the on-field drills at the Combine. Noah Taylor did not go through um, the Combine drills, of course, still recovering from a season-ending injury. He did go and do the bench press. He was the only Tar Heel that actually did the bench press. Uh, a lot of guys, you know, starting to kind of get away from that here as the years have gone along at the combine, especially. Um, so he was the only guy, 22 reps out there. In terms of the other athletic testing numbers, uh, really the wide receivers were the guys that showed out. Uh, awesome Richards actually did not do any of the athletic testing, just did the on-field drills. He's going to save uh, all of the, athletic testing for his pro day and so the 40-yard dash uh Josh Downs 448 but he was bested believe it or not by his teammate Antoine Green who ran a blistering 447 that is an outstanding time for him really solid time for Josh as well the interesting thing for Josh his 10-yard split a 149 which was inside of the top Five amongst receivers. Uh, that is absolutely outstanding. It shows, you know, just how good of a release he has off the line of scrimmage. Uh, his vertical, extremely explosive for a guy of his size, 38 and a half inches. Antoine Green, one of the lower numbers. That was one of the things that was a little bit more discouraging, especially for a guy that we've seen go up and high point the football and come down with it. Uh, just a 33 and a half inch vertical. Uh, the broad jump, downs. Incredibly impressive, again, especially for a guy his size, shows the explosion uh, with a 10-foot, 11-inch broad jump. Antoine Green, one of the smaller numbers, 10-inch uh, or 10-foot, 3-inch broad jump for him. Uh, some of the other ones, of course, like the three-cone drill, Antoine Green, the only guy that did it, 6.9. 20-yard shuttle, Antoine Green, 4.27. Uh, but outside of that, really all the other stuff, was in the on-the-field drills. And I watched 
Um, the majority of this, I didn't get to see as much yesterday as I really wanted to from Awesome Richards. I wanted to go back and watch it today, but uh, if you guys have experience with it, you probably know it. The NFL Plus app, not exactly the greatest thing in the world. Um, they did this year the players only, um, which is you know basically former players that are just commentating at the combine. So it gives you a little bit of a different perspective. You know, I love watching Rich Eisen and, and Daniel Jeremiah break the guys down. But, you know, during the wide receivers, you had, uh, you know, Kurt Warner was there for the quarterbacks, but you had Steve Smith Sr., uh, who is, we've been used to seeing out there for a few years now at the combine, but also a guy that's currently playing, and Adam Thielen, who I thought was tremendous, by the way, also out there breaking down the combine. And, uh, I thought both of those guys were outstanding, and both of those guys absolutely loved Josh Downs. Um, they did, uh, and he was the guy that stood out to them. They asked uh, Kurt Warner asked them uh, at the end of the broadcast who was a guy that stood out, and they both mentioned Josh Downs as a guy that uh, really did everything right. Uh, I thought, you know, just from watching him, you know, this was this was a setting where he was going to thrive. We knew he was going to be a combine standout. I thought, you know, the, the 40 time might be the area where he stands out, uh, but that wasn't it. Uh, he really stood out when they got into the on-field drills. Uh, they adjusted, you know, some of the stuff that they do. Uh, they started running a pivot route drill that I think really worked in his favor. Uh, they also did, you know, sort of uh, a slot, um, you know, corner route, uh, which I think also really showcased his ability real well thing for him that he did so well in this. Not only did he run really good routes, this dude also caught the ball incredibly well. And um, really, I mean, both him and Antoine Green caught the ball very well. But for Josh Downs, it just it looked natural. It, it, it's so natural watching him catch the football. Um, he, he was just, I mean, everything that was thrown his way, he just made it look easy. The ball was soft in his hands. That's what you're looking for when you go to these type of events where it just looks so fluid. And that's what it looked like out there the other day. I think, you know, from watching him, watching some of the other receivers, um, you know, some of those guys, I think, you know, Zay Flowers, I think, looked fantastic. He's probably the best slot guy, although, uh, you know, they drew some comparisons to Steve Smith on the broadcast. Smitty uh, actually kind of agreed with them. Um, it said actually that he thinks he's a little bit of a better player uh, than he is. So he'll probably be the first slot guy, the first small receiver at least to go off the board. But one of the things that Steve Smith said is he thought that some of the things that Josh Downs showed uh, would allow him to be a guy that could potentially play on the outside. And that's really, really interesting because we heard from Carolina that they were going to do more of that this past year. And they didn't. Uh, part of that may have been that he got injured. They kind of had to scramble. He couldn't work on it as much. And so they just said, look, we're going to leave him pl playing primarily in the slot. But I thought he showed the other day that he can sort of play on the outside as well. He knows how to create separation. And I really do think that there is a conversation that some of those teams at the end of the first round are going to have to have about potentially drafting him. If not, I think this performance from him in Indy solidifies him as a top of the second round guy. I'd be shocked if he lasts past the first half of the second round. Somebody is going to get a really good and really productive receiver right out of the gates in Josh Downs. 
Antoine Green, you could argue he was the guy that helped himself the most. That 40 time, as I mentioned, really, really solid for him. Inside of the top 10 fastest amongst the receivers. I don't think anybody saw that coming for him. I mean, he's a fast guy, but I don't know if we saw him outrunning Josh Downs. And he did and looked really good doing it. Um, also, I, I think a lot of credit needs to be given to him. You know, he had some inconsistencies catching the football at times, uh, especially as the season wore on this past year. But I thought he looked really good out there catching the ball. Um, looked pretty natural. There were a couple that got in on him, unlike Josh Downs, where Josh Downs caught every single pass with his hands. You saw a couple sort of, uh, you know, get into the body for Antoine Green. But for the most part, I thought he caught the ball extremely well. Uh, he had just one drop, uh, which was on, on a deep route. Um, that's something that, you know, isn't great, considering he is going to be a deep ball receiver at the next level. But uh, I do think that he showed some really good things and I think has, uh, you know, some people probably very interested in him as a guy that will be a late round guy. I think you're probably looking at him, you know, maybe with that speed that he ran could potentially slip in if somebody falls in love with them into that fifth round, but probably a guy that's going to be more of a sixth or seventh round guy. And even, you know, if you get to that point in the draft, it might almost work out better for you if you were to go undrafted. But I think regardless, uh, he's a guy that NFL teams will be interested in after that performance. Meanwhile, awesome Richards, I think for awesome, Really, it was it was much better, you know, for him going to the Senior Bowl and being able to display his physicality there. Uh, they played him a lot of guard, and I think he looked really good there. And then what he did here at the combine, despite not going through the athletic testing, was he showed his athleticism in the drills. I thought he moved really, really well. Um, still a guy that I think the biggest thing for him is is going to be playing with that mean streak. You know, it just lacked at times at Carolina. Um, you do wonder, you know, can he improve upon his pass protection? Because if you look at his body style, you look at his footwork, he's a guy that fits the tackle spot very, very well. But when you look at him as a pass protector overall, that hasn't been great. So he probably projects more as a guard. So uh, you'll have, we'll have to wait and see. But I definitely think that awesome, you know, helped himself a little bit there by looking as athletic as he did, looking as fluid as he did in some of those drills. The biggest thing, though, when it comes to offensive linemen and those drills that they do at the combine, really the there, there's not much you could take away from offensive linemen at the combine. Um, that's more of where you want to watch them in that senior bowl. And uh, while I don't think he, he, he you know necessarily stood out at the senior bowl, I don't really think he hurt himself. He showed that he had some versatility to him. So uh, I definitely think that him going there and being able to talk to teams is also a really big part of it, I think. You know, that can help his stock a little bit. And then as for Noah Taylor, uh, of course, you know, the news with Noah Taylor, uh, if you guys didn't read it in the weekly storylines article over on HeelToughBlog.com, is that uh, Noah Taylor did get drafted to the USFL by the New Orleans Breakers, um, which is a team that used to be coached by Larry Fedora. He is no longer the coach there, so uh, don't worry uh, about that. He is not going to be the guy that's going to be coaching him, and he's not the guy that picked him either. Um, but uh, he, he – Went there to the combine, didn't participate in any of the drills as I talked about, but he did interview with a couple of teams. So for him to be able to go there and talk to some teams, get on the radar, potentially at least get himself uh, looked at as a guy that could eventually be, uh, and you know, in addition to uh, a roster for um, 
for training camp, I think would would be huge for him. And, and I think that was the the biggest goal that he had to have going out there to Indy with him not being able to participate in those drills. So uh, that's your look back at the combine, guys. We got plenty more on the combine for you and all the other stuff that we talked about here tonight on HeelToughBlog.com. Go check out the article that we're going to put up. Uh, it's actually not up just yet uh, as we end uh, this live stream, but uh, some of you that may be listening to the podcasted version of this, uh, you may actually be able to see it up there now on the website. Again, I am going to try to go back and watch everything from Awesome Richards before I officially finish that article um, because I'm doing one which kind of tells you know you guys which guy helped his stock the most um, and if anybody hurt their stock. A um, little bit of a hint there. Don't really think any of anybody hurt their stock, but uh, find out who we think hurt, helped their stock the most out of the group. Uh, you can check that article out at HeelToughBlog.com. Also, breakdowns of the commits that we talked about earlier in the show. I know it's been uh, almost an hour now since we talked about those guys, but uh, you did have the four-star running back uh, that committed uh, to Carolina um, earlier today. Uh, that was just a huge one. And Davey and Gauss uh, out of the state of Florida, uh, really, really big addition out of Miami's backyard for Carolina. And that was followed up with an in-state prospect, a guy uh, that goes to a school that Carolina wants to start having a lot more success at, especially in this year's class with uh, one of the better players in the state currently uh, in, uh, enrolled there and, and a teammate of the guy they landed in Khalil Conley tonight, but also Khalil Conley, pretty freak athlete. Go read our breakdown of him. I go pretty in depth on uh, one of the guys that, uh, I had on my most wanted list that committed to Carolina earlier today. Also make sure that you guys are checking out all of the spring camp coverage. I got an article up there for you guys. It's really the one that kicked it all off, uh, when Carolina opened spring camp on Sunday, uh, it is the battles to watch in spring camp. Uh, there are five that I am keeping my eye on right now. Make sure you go check those out. We talked about a couple of them here, uh, the safeties, the wide receivers, but there are three others that I think you guys will be really, really intrigued by. So make sure you go over to the website and check out that article uh, over there on HeelToughBlog.com. Also, while you're there, check out the basketball coverage. Guys, it has been incredibly painful. I know. I have been through it as well. Uh, I've been doing the Four Corners podcast with Josh the entire season, but we've had you covered. And now Carolina is in the scenario that we were hoping they would not get to, and it's probably win four games in four days. Uh, I think that's the safest way to look at it if you're Carolina because uh, they're kind of all over the board. There's some people that believe if they were to win three games, they could get in even if they lose in the final. There's some that want to try to tell us you could win two games and get in. The easiest thing for Carolina to do is to go out and win all four games that they would be able to play, get to the, get that automatic bid, and get into the NCAA tournament. If they can do that, I think we would call it a success at this point for where this team is at right now. But we're going to have you covered regardless over there uh, you know, with the articles on the website and then over there on the Four Corners podcast, guys. Make sure you check out the Four Corners podcast uh, everywhere that you're listening to this podcast. Um, not 
quite on the video platform there just yet. So far, it's only the Heel Tough Vlog podcast that is there, but uh, that is going to be in the works, guys. You better believe uh, that's going to be one of Josh's big off-season projects is getting that up and running for next season where we will be on camera. That's right. Not only will you have to see our mugs for this podcast, but also for uh, for the Four Corners podcast. And I got to tell you, if it's another season like this year, there will be some moments where we will just have our hands in our, uh, our face in our hands. Uh, there will be moments where we may possibly be banging our head against uh, tables or walls. Um, there may also be moments where we're throwing stuff. You won't want to miss that. But for right now, uh, it sounds really, really good on the audio side of things too. Uh, Josh has nearly broken the table that is in the studio that we actually record that podcast out of from how many times he has pounded his fist on the table asking this team for something. I too have also pounded my quit my fist quite a few times. So make sure you check that out wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, make sure you subscribe to that podcast as well as rate and review it. Do the same thing if you could for the Heel Tough Vlog podcast. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. So that is going to wrap it up, guys. Uh, an extremely long edition of the podcast. But why wouldn't it be? And our first one back to uh, the live video side of things. Um, so yeah, really appreciate everybody that was in here during the live stream. I know there are a ton of you guys that'll be catching up, uh, with it on our, uh, Twitter, on, on my Twitter page, my personal Twitter page, uh, as well as the Facebook page, uh, which has just continued to grow all the people that are involved in the Facebook page. We greatly appreciate you. And for all those people that are watching, uh, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Twitter, the best way to get this moving forward will be the YouTube page. We'll still stream to all these, and this could be the way that you access it, but subscribe to the YouTube channel. We are going to be encouraging you guys to do that um, as much as we possibly can because I feel like that's probably the best way for you guys to watch. So make sure you do that. Smash that subscribe button on the uh, Heel Tough blog um, YouTube page, which is brand new up and running, guys. We would greatly appreciate that. So once again, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank everybody that has watched this live edition of the stream. Again, make sure you subscribe to the Facebook page, the YouTube page. Follow me on Twitter at HTB Anthony, where all this stuff is streaming. And check out the Heel Tough blog website. For now, Anthony Pegnata saying so long and thank you, you once again. And as always, go Tarius. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.